Hello, everyone, and welcome back. This is the Granite Mountain Movie Club. Uh, I am your host. I go by Granite. We have a very special guest today. We've got Ben Wilson. Um, ben Wilson is his first time guest, and uh, a little about Ben. So you know, uh, if you listen to this show, you've you know that I'm kind of interested just generally in the art of podcasting and uh, and, and broadcasting more generally. Ben is. He's probably the first real podcaster guest that I've had on the show. Ben Ben has some things that I'll let him explain in a second, but uh, Ben's been involved with some big podcasts and he has a big podcast of his own. So um, that, that, you know, like lots and lots of real people listen to uh, people that aren't just the crazy uh, mentally ill people online like most of my fans. <laughs> so uh, so if you're one of my mentally ill fans, leave a message in the in the comments. But Ben. Tell uh, tell all of my crazy, insane fans what what you're working on. Well, thanks, Granite. You made me feel all all warm and fuzzy inside. This is uh, it's nice to feel legitimate. I uh, so I'm I'm a podcaster now. I guess I started a podcast just in my spare time uh, five years ago called How to Take Over the World, and it's done well. And it has yeah, like a good number. I'm not Malcolm Gladwell, but it's got a good number of listeners. And um, yeah, it's become my my job. So go check it out. Help, help feed my family. Every time you download a podcast episode of how to take over the world, a 10 month old, you know, gets, gets a dinner that night. And every time you don't, he doesn't. So, you <laughs> know, that's on you. Cents a day. You could feed <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> For only one. Um, a day. It, I assume it's just available everywhere, right? Apple, Spotify, yeah. whatever else, wherever you get your podcast. Okay. And I'll put the links in there so people can find it. Uh, and then we've got, um, a multi-time guest. I actually, Giordano, or we'll, we'll real quick, Giordano, yeah. I'll say. So the the guest is Giordano, by the way. But I think it was two years ago, uh, in October of 2020, or 2021, I think, that uh, mm. we first, I recorded my first episode and you were the guest. You were the first guest. Yes. Um, and you've been a guest, I don't know, 10 times or something now. Oh, so yeah. a handful of times. Battle yeah. Royale. Yeah, or that first episode, first Battle Royale. <laughs> That if you're new be, to the show, yeah. go back, listen to every single episode, starting at number one, Battle Royale. You have to listen to all of them in order to really understand. To understand the world that we live in, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's a lot of world building. There's a lot of lore. Yeah. Um, but you haven't been on for a while. So what, what have you been up to lately? How's um, the Mambo Wizard? How's uh, that going? The Mambo-verse continues to flourish. Um, actually, when we had that first podcast, I was still working on well no i think i may have finished the mambo wizard breakfast is served my debut novel um but i was still sending it out or or still um just in the editing phase so that wasn't even out yet when we did that first podcast but i've been working on the audiobook for the mambo wizard breakfast is served which will be available this christmas in and are you Alabama. are you recording it in your beautiful uh i'm going to say baritone but i don't know if that's what actually i don't know you either have, but... I, Yes, I'm recording it and doing um, uh, silly, goofy voices. And oh, nice! Yeah, and basically humiliating myself. Yeah, so, yeah. Check it out. Um, okay, awesome. And and I, I'm going to go back real quick too. I feel like I undersold what what Ben's working on. <laughs> um, and for anyone who listens to this show, go go listen to Ben's. He he did. He, you know, he takes these important figures from history, like great men of history. It seems kind of like, and uh, you know, breaks down like what it was that, that made them great, how they got to where they got. And 
if you listen to this show, you probably heard the Oppenheimer episode. He has a really good, I think he did two, two segments on Oppenheimer, both the movie and the person um, where you touched on a bunch of stuff. Um, I wish I would have known when I recorded my episode about it, uh, but it was really good. So if anyone's listened to that, maybe that's an entry point. Go jump over there and, and listen to his Oppenheimer episodes. Yeah, that we have an extended universe now. We're yeah. I don't know what you, if you know what you just created, but uh, yeah, now there's a synergy, and uh, we'll have to have a an Avengers podcast with uh, Grand Mountain Movie Club and and how to take over the world. Yeah. Um, all right, and so then today we're talking about uh, a movie that I had not seen, and this was Ben's recommendation, and so I'm going to be counting on Ben to to have some some big brain takes on it. But uh, it's King Arthur from 2017. And this was done by Guy Ritchie. And I was vaguely aware of this movie, but I did not see it when it came out. Um, unfortunately for this movie, a lot of people didn't see it. Um, it cost it cost quite a bit of money. I think it was about 175 and it did not make that back. <laughs> so, um, and it was a, a, initially intended to be a kind of a universe of movies, kind of like a Marvel, but for the the Arthur, Arthurian legends. Um but it didn't make enough money. So I think they, they scrapped that idea. Yeah. I think it was one of the biggest flops of the century, uh, monetarily. Yeah. So, um, I'll give my take real quick on it and then maybe I'll let Giordano to give his take. And then you can tell us what about this movie, uh, is, uh, what, what led you to, to recommend it. So, um, like I say, I'd never seen this. I've now watched it twice. And, uh, the first time I saw it, I thought, you know, that was, that was fine. There was some stuff I liked a lot about it. I really liked that, that beginning with these massive elephants and stuff. And, you know, it's kind of a CGI. Uh, there's a lot of CGI, but I don't really mind if they are, there's situations like this. And, and we reviewed the, we reviewed the movie Noah a couple months ago as well, where it, where it has a similar thing going on where they're using so much CGI that it's just sort of, they're just kind of saying, this is the universe. The universe is this, this is the texture of it. Just, just, just live with it. Um, and I, I'm usually able to accept that. And I, um, I thought that intro thing looked really cool with the big, the big elephants that are, you know, they were the size of buildings, I guess they're massive. Um, good action, good destruction. Um, throughout the movie, there's you know, some very typical Guy Ritchie stuff going on, fast cuts, a lot of it feels like a music video. Some of it feels like a video game. Um, and then there's kind of like matrix camera work, sort of slow down arrows and swords. Um, the first time I watched it, I thought, you know, this is fine. I watched it again. I liked it quite a lot. Um, and I think there's, there is a lot of given, you know, the source uh, from where they're coming from, the, the King Arthur sword in the stone, Merlin, all that stuff. There's a lot there's a lot of symbolism and stuff to play around with there. Um, so I would say, you know, thanks for recommending it. I would probably never have checked this out otherwise. Um, and I, you know, I liked it and it's, uh, you know, it's, I, I'd say it's worth, worth people's time if they haven't seen it. Yeah. So I think it's the greatest movie of the 21st century and anyone who can't see that is willfully blind and, or maybe dishonest. Um, and uh, okay. All right. All right. I can't wait I, to talk about this. <laughs> okay. Well, before we, before you go further, Jordana, sure are you willfully blind or are you, <laughs> or are you dishonest? You got to pick one or the other, or do you I think it's the greatest am, movie? Of the 21st? <laughs> I don't know what I, I don't know what I am on that. Um, uh, 
the bell curve meme i maybe i'm just like a midwit just complete imbecile which i you know maybe um but my experience with this film i remember uh it came out i think i looked it up 2017 i did not see it in the theater although at the time i probably would have enjoyed it um I, I well i really wanted to watch it so i remember actually renting it from redbox or something um when it came out and bringing it home because i'm like cool king arthur i don't care if it sucks it's just like swords and armor and I'm, I'm into any of that i'll take all of that i don't care and um i'm start to watch the film and then the first thing i that sort of set off like a red flag was jude law whom i love jude law like one of my favorite actors um love this man but he's just like walking around like with his um norwood you know receding hair <laughs> he's like the king of the norwoods and he's, and he's got a dye he's got a dye job too it looks it's just, oh. I, I don't know it just looks weird because it doesn't look super regal but maybe i'm thinking okay maybe he's supposed to be evil or something and i see there's just like this king with the with the you know the balding king and he doesn't even have a beard or a mustache or anything and i remember i i actually did not make it through the movie i actually turned it off which is saying something because i people who know me like i watch anything like i watch i watch such crap but i could <laughs> not make it through this film so and i actually forgot that i turned it off so when granite mentioned oh we're gonna watch um king arthur legend of the sword I'm like, all right, let's let's try this movie again because you know I don't really remember a lot of it. Started watching it again, watched the whole thing, and then I think I, I messaged Granite, and I just said, I just want to confirm that that was the movie. <laughs> that we watched, I watched the right movie, right? Like it was because you know there's a ton of King Arthur films. So, but then he said, yeah, that was the one, 2017. So. I mean, that's all I want to yeah, say about it right now. There's actually, an, there was another King Arthur 2017. It's just some like low budget, like oh, weird yeah. thing that had like one out of 10 stars on IMDb. But <laughs> Okay. So yeah, Ben, tell us where, what are we missing? Yeah. So here's what I'll say about uh, King Arthur Legend of the Sword. And the reason I recommended it and wanted to rewatch it is I think it's an okay movie with a great movie living inside of it. And Mountain, I don't know if you're planning or Granite, I don't know if you're planning on getting into uh, some of the the history of the movie, but essentially uh, it was kind of a mess. So Guy Ritchie goes in to direct it and they come out with a movie that they can test screen and it gets panned by test audiences. So say, okay, let's basically go back and reshoot this thing. And even from the beginning, even before that occurred, there were two different writers and they were using both scripts. And so they kind of try and merge the scripts and, um, and then they go back for reshoots. And so it's really kind of like three or four movies thrown into one. And so if it seems like a mess, it's because it is, it is a mess. (laughs) Um, But I think if you could just strip away a lot, that's extraneous, there's a great story there. And to me, I think one of the reasons that it resonates with me is that, um, it gets kingship right. And Arthur comes across as a believable king. And there are moments in the film where you think, oh yeah, I get why someone would want to die for that guy. And at a time when most protagonists 
are either actively annoying or just kind of vacuous, just kind of uh, an empty place, you know, at best upon which the the viewer can project themselves. You know, I think of Harry Potter and Harry Potter is the ultimate like non-character, the actual character of Harry Potter, right? He, he just, yeah. you, you can't really say anything about him. And you look at Star Wars and Luke Skywalker is kind of a non-character as well. And uh, I, one of the reasons I like this is that this movie says, no, actually Han Solo is the king and should be the king. And that's the person that people want to follow. And and I think they they get that right. And so I think the character of King Arthur is so good that it kind of redeems the whole movie, even though the plot is a little bit convoluted in the mess. Well, when you say it's a mess, that that reminds me that like I... So I watched it once and then I read the Wikipedia plot summary and I felt like there was a lot of, there was things that, I mean, I, I understood, you know, the, the main big points, but I, I guess, yeah, I did actually miss a lot of little things or transitional things that, that were probably lost in the mess or something. About three fourths of the way through this, watching the film, I don't even, the movie, I don't even know if you could say it had a plot as much as it was just like a, pastiche of different sensory experiences and visuals and because i i feel like i could not explain the plot with a gun to my head to be honest and i (laughs) i felt like i needed to i didn't i didn't look up the wikipedia i tried to actually i have a little notebook where i tried to keep notes of stuff but i have notes like uh jude law got gets nosebleed uh giant snake and uh large tentacle ursula woman like, i didn't really understand anything that was going on at any given moment that's not although that's very typical for me that's my just like my view, movie viewing experience but plot wise it, i felt that once you explained that there was was it you or ben who said it was multiple scripts kind of mm-hmm. meshed together that kind of makes sense yeah so i so i, I in preparation for this I kind of, obviously I took some notes and I started writing down kind of what I might have done to make this plot make sense. And I think the essential plot works, which is uh, King Arthur's father is killed. He goes into exile. He's raised in a brothel. Um, He basically becomes the king of like his block, right? He's essentially like a minor gangster running. Yeah. He's a, he's a mob. Yeah. He's a mob boss. Yeah. Yeah. Running a minor extortion racket and um, yeah, nothing too nefarious, but like a minor mob boss. And, uh, and then he is forced to withdraw the sword from the stone. Um, he, with a, you know, band of, of followers escapes, uh, but some of his friends are captured and therefore he has to essentially, do a heist in order to go save them and take the throne and defeat his uncle, uh, Vortigan in order to take the throne. I think like that could make sense as a plot. What I, what I just said is, is a plot. Now, obviously the movie is much more convoluted than that. I think probably the best representation of that is there's this thing they're trying to get at, which is, uh, the sword is like too powerful for him. And uh-huh. he, he either won't or can't take hold of the sword and, you know, take his, his full power to himself. And there are like four different points in the movie where it's like, no, you have to, 
you have to grasp the sword. And part of that is looking into the past and seeing this moment when, um, when his father was killed. And, but the problem is they keep, they keep doing it. So, um, you know, there's, there's one moment that, um, that he grabs it and he looks, and then he has to go to this thing called the dark lands, which they never explain. And then he grasps the sword and, um, and can hold it. But then again, um, they're kind of fighting at the dojo and he grabs the sword again. And you uh, once again, have the moment of like, Oh, here's King Arthur finally grabbing the sword. And then again, after that, um, like he gets bit by a snake and goes on like an acid trip and has to like accept the sword once again. And so it's like, yeah, this, this is a plot point that could have worked, but the fact that you're repeating it three or four times makes you just think, okay, well, I guess I don't get it because I, I thought he already did this. Like, why does he have to keep looking into the past and keep trying to grab the sword? Yeah. The, what you meant, you mentioned though, a bunch of um, points where I was, I probably was confused, but the, the, there was, they were obviously very, they're like very classic or archetypal events in, in the story, you know, um, like the sword is something he has to grow into, or he has to, um, like the, like his role as a King in general, you know, it's like you, the crown, you know, I, I'm trying to remember which movie it was or show it might've been game of Thrones, which I've not fully seen. I'm just kind of familiar with it, but, um, it's sort of like you grow into this crown. Um, that's kind of a line that you see a lot of these like sword and sorcerer things. Um, and then, and then, yeah, you know, he's, he's going into the underworld or the dark world um, to do like the, I mean, I guess I shouldn't give Jordan Peterson credit, but cause he didn't come up with this, but he, he's the one who's, you know, talked about it a lot in the last few years, but you, you know, you have to go into hell to, to save your father, which is like explicitly like what he's doing in this, in the dark world and stuff. So that, Th- those things being like um, classic pieces of, of like story architecture, I I, I was uh, simultaneously confused, but also like oh, I get you know I, I know what they're doing, which is why I say it's a great movie living inside an okay movie because I totally agree, but you know that he has to go through the dark lands. I don't know if you remember that. Then he also has a scene where the lady in the lake like pulls him into the lake, and he does basically the same thing again. Uh, yeah, he tries to throw away the sword, right. and they and they. It's like sort of the destiny theme. It's like, no, you actually, you don't really get to outrun any of this. You have to take this. Right. And well, um, I actually it, was um, from, from watching the sword being its own sort of character or half alive or something. Um, it reminded me of, I don't know if you've, any of you have ever read um, the author, the British fantasy author, Michael Moorcock, uh, who wrote, Elric, the Elric saga. Anyway, he has a magic sword named Stormbringer, but the sword is uh, evil. And every time this character Elric uses the sword, the sword sort of takes him over, takes over and just like wants to just keep killing and and murdering people. And um, that's what the, I don't understand what the magical power was of the sword beyond like it would sort of have these like little explosions and then just disintegrate his enemies and turn them into ash. And um, I think... Yeah, it's called it's called being based. The sword of base. <laughs> the sword of basedness. Um, yeah. The power of basedness. So, like, I actually thought was, I you know, because I misunderstood or I didn't get it, but I was like, are you... Is he struggling with just um, 
becoming pure evil, like going to the dark side? Or or is he struggling with, uh, oh, if I become king, you know, I'm just going to want to turn to evil and power is going to corrupt me, etc. Although that would seem to go against the the kingly the kingliness of Arthur. So I don't know. It, to me, uh, and I think this is what was confusing about it, is there's kind of um, two different elements that go into it. And one is just that he's supposed to be sort of a, a practical person, right? Who likes his life, who likes what he does and doesn't want to get like caught up in the politics. That's essentially what I catch from the beginning, right? Of uh, you want to expose yourselves to danger for this cause. Like I'm not about causes. Um, I just kind of want life to go on as it is. And then the second thing is once his friends start dying, then he's like, well, I really don't want to take this on because I don't want to put those around me in danger. But I agree um, that the reluctance is never super well explained in terms of. I, I would map it just the, the way it feels in the movie. It seems to map mostly to, um, in, in worthiness and intention, like he's maybe doesn't feel worthy because he, uh, or, and the, or so, or he doesn't have, you know, the right, he, he doesn't, uh, he doesn't want to rule, doesn't ha- have that like will or something, but, but the, the sword and other factors keep insisting that he doesn't really have a choice. Which is funny because he is sort of authoritative by nature, especially in the first fourth of the movie, right? You see him on the streets and yeah. he's a naturally take charge, any new situation, you know, he's with the Druid for the first time and he's, you know, turns around on his horse is, is sort of unwilling to surrender to the idea that he's a captive and is just kind of takes control of the situation and, you know, is hitting on her and stuff like that. And so it doesn't necessarily check out with his personality in the first quarter of the movie that he would uh, be the person who's reluctant to take charge in general. Um, but I, I, think I do think the, somewhat, that's what they're getting at. The um, the story or the film, I think, would have been improved if he was actually wholeheartedly embracing, you know, becoming the king, because that does seem more of the persona of somebody raised in a brothel and raised around prostitutes. And this guy's basically a pimp. Like he's literally beating up the the customers who are mistreating his prostitute moms or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I feel yeah. like it would be much more interesting if he was like, yeah, I'm going to be the king. I'm killing all of my enemies and just embraced it instead of, it's almost like they have to try to make it everything that has a, an, a character claiming authority. always has to be reluctant maybe, or, or maybe just to show his humility that he's not trying for power, but that might well, actually he, be more interesting. I don't know. Does he, um, I mean, he knows, he knows he was, I, I, presumably he knows he was like found a, in, in a basket like Moses and raised by these, um, these working women at the brothel. Um, although does I, he know he's royalty or does he just know he was hidden for some reason? Like, well, at some point he does say to Vortigan, I'm the bastard son of a whore. And so I think on some level, one of, one of the prostitutes may have told him you're my son. So it's actually not totally clear that he even knows that he was found. In any case, yeah, I don't. I, yeah. it, judging by his surprise when he grasps the sword, I definitely don't think he understands that he's royalty. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize uh, I mean, Vortigan was his uncle. 
<laughs> Wait, you didn't realize that? Jude Law is his uncle. That was his father's brother. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's an, it's a, you know, a, um, that's Eric Bana's brother. Yeah, yeah. Remember we? So we had covered the Northman, North, oh, yes. Northman, Northman North on this show. Man. Yeah. It's it's pretty similar to the the Northman or oh, uh, yeah. Hamlet thing, right? Um, it's not not too far off at all, really. And and the Northman I noticed as well. It's you know it has this uh, a witch right from a foreign land, um, who comes and you know helps him along in his path. And he and in the Northman, you know, he has to go descend, you know, into the nether world or whatever to to gain wisdom or courage or whatever as well so there's a lot of similarities i thought with that one true ben have you seen that one yeah Uh mom if you're listening no i haven't but to you guys yes i have (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah and and uh yeah i mean of course northman is based on the story of hamlet which is um i mean that's a story that's like a thousand years old and so of course there are some sort of timeless tropes that are involved uh involved in that story I feel like I've done a bad job though of selling uh, King Arthur legend of the sword so far. So like I'll pivot from trying to make the movie make sense and saying what could have been better to like, maybe we can talk about a few elements that did work about the film. Uh, One is, and I didn't love everything about the scene, but I thought that the dojo scene where he first kind of fights with the sword is legitimately good in particular that moment when uh, you know they're surrounded by uh by what are essentially stormtroopers and he's trying to get everyone to escape out the out of the sewer and they're kind of saying no you first and i think that's where you get this idea of sort of um like royal fealty right this true idea of loyalty where uh, they're saying, no, you go first or we're not going. And he's saying, get in the dang sewer. And, you know, they finally start making excuses. Sorry, boss. I'm afraid of the dark. Sorry, I don't like rats. And uh, then he takes off his jacket and says, uh, you know, oh, what's wrong with you people determined to die. And uh, and then for the first time, and to me, that makes the most sense as the movie. They should have stripped away everything else of that makes the most sense to me of that would be the moment when he does grasp the sword and says, okay, this is what I'm willing to step up to the plate for, which is to protect my friends. And, uh, and that is very true to the story of King Arthur, which is all about the round table and not just about Arthur himself, but about his loyalty to his knights and their loyalty to him. And so I thought that was uh, for me, probably the the strongest moment of the movie. Hmm. Um, I mean, I think that, just, I mean, as far as things that I think work, I mean, it kind of just depends how you feel about some of the, like Guy Ritchie's style, which I, I, I made myself like, um, I just said, like, I'm going to just go with this, you know, and I'm going to enjoy it. And, and I mentioned earlier that, that opening sequence, I still think that's really awesome. Like you got these huge elephants that are knocking over like a town or whole, like a kingdom, I guess. Um, and then you got Eric Bana like jumping off a bridge and letting his horse fall to the ground and die, which I thought was cool. <laughs> and then he like jumps inside of this, you know, this elephant thing, whatever. And he has this magic sword and he kills this guy. I don't know. It was the beginning was just kind of like heavy metal, um, like a heavy metal music video or something. It was, it was cool. It looked beautiful too. Yeah. 
it was really cool. It reminded me also, yeah, of like a heavy metal, like a level from Halo or something. Um, and uh, the giant elephants, you know, you see the giant elephants like the size of a mountain. And I'm thinking, oh, okay, cool. This is like, you know, this is some other, this is a fantasy world. It's not trying to be necessarily realistic. And it has a very stylish, stylized look. And then, but then it, the movie actually had like several openings or, or at least more than one. <laughs> Because it started, well, then it starts with like this text and it's very solemn and very quiet. And then like, you know, the heavy metal opening. And then there isn't there like a second opening that's also in slow motion with the, the titles coming up now. I, I can't yeah, I do. Um, I'm scru- yeah. I'm scrubbing through it. They, they don't start showing like the, um, a lot of the credits until about 12 minutes. Oh, yeah, like yeah. The intro very, credits. It's like kind of a long pre-credits sequence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it feels very big, very serious, which, to me, and and I don't want to say this is tonally. It was confusing because it ha- it has a very epic, dark fantasy feel, but then it switches into. <laughs> it feels like I'm watching like Lockstock and Two Smoking Barrels, but the mon- like, like talking about the montage. Fair. Yes, right, and well, I'm, mostly what I'm talking about is the they're inscrutable impenetrable accents um which are very difficult <laughs> no, no, i didn't times. have too much trouble with the accents oh, okay you know and and i thought it was you know it's like they just were like oi a lot of a lot of oi mate oh what yeah. are you doing there mate and and like when you think of king arthur you know it's funny because it's like an inversion of the king arthur everything being like so high and uh i don't know how to describe it a high fantasy feel but then mm-hmm. this makes it you know very down to earth very gritty um, yeah, R- Guy Ritchie's incorporating like London street culture into yeah, some of this. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and yeah, he's using and then the, like he's doing the the fast cuts, you know, like the in that montage and stuff, and and the music is, you know, how, remember like the Knight's Tale movie where <laughs> yes, it was like the you know they work Tale. in all this modern music. He does a he doesn't exactly work in modern music. Well, it is modern styled music, yeah. And he, right. you know, he's just playing around with all that stuff. I, I mean. You can, that's just kind of a choice, I yeah. guess, whether or not you, you like that or not. Like, and I, I, I just accepted it. I just like chose to, to kind of like it. One of yeah. the reasons I did like it is, um, there's this book, which I have never read, but someone has told me about called Bronze Age Mindset. And, <laughs> um, and I know nothing about it except for what I'm about to tell you, which is, I have heard that, um, he talks a lot about owned space, this idea of owned space and uh, own space is essentially what it sounds like is um, a space, the space and opportunity to sort of express your full development and um, your prowess as, as a, as a human. And what he essentially says is we all live in owned space where we're very constrained. Um, people have told me he said this and that there's very few opportunities to find um, um, you, you know, your own, um, own space. And the, what he urges people to do at the end of the book, I've been told is to sort of, uh, sink down into the underworld because that's one of the few places, you know, mm. sort of in these dark cracks in these forgotten worlds is where you can still find a modicum of freedom, um, amongst the drug dealers and the prostitutes and, and all of this. And I thought that was, um, yeah, my viewing of 
this movie preceded my have someone telling me about this one chapter of this very strange book. But I do think that there is a connection to be made there. Um, and I think, you know, he wasn't intentionally trying to make that point, which is what I think makes it more true to life that in a world in which everything is captured by the sort of oppressive power that stifles life, the one place where you can go to still find your freedom is this underworld. And I found that very interesting, which is I think maybe what made sense to me about um, it's high fantasy at first. And it's this amazing, extraordinary world that you want to be a part of, but because he's excluded from that world and he is sent adrift, now he has to try and sort of recapture his freedom by finding it in, in the underworld. Yeah. And that speaks to the, like his ki kingly nature, like, um, and, and we all kind of, I think most of us accept this deep down, which even if we don't want to admit it, because sometimes it means that we, uh, it might mean accepting that, that we are maybe not as much as we think we are, but I think we all kind of, you know, uh, with maybe some exceptions, we all kind of land where we deserve or where like, and so, you know, he's, he's like, he has noble blood and, you know, maybe you, some of, some people don't believe that that, that sort of thing matters. I, I, I do. I think it probably, it does matter, but, um, you know, his, his dad was obviously this brave, uh, King and a, and it seemed like a beloved leader and he's, he's bringing that some of that with him. And it's like, if you move, remove him from his, his actual Royal opportunities and just put him on the streets, he's going to find a way, uh, whether, you know, he's just naturally going to do that. He's going to find some way to, um, to, you know, gain status and, and climb like the hierarchy. And, um, and yeah, I mean, he does it basically becoming, becoming, yeah, a, a gangster. Um, and we, t we think about this, all, we talk about this all the time, like in the modern age, how there are people around us who um, are maybe not doing, maybe not doing what they could do because the opportunities are like, because the environment's too controlled or too, or too sterile or something, or, or just, but, but there's, there's guys around us who in a previous era, and you, you see this joke on Twitter sometimes, it's like, you know, a, th a thousand years ago or 500 years ago, this man would have been, you know, leading, you know, legions into battle or something. Um, but yeah, some people just have it and he, he has it. So uh, in that setting, he becomes a, a criminal. And I thought that was a fun choice, you know, to make him a, you know, to make him some sort of, I'm not sure all the things he's doing. He's thieving as a kid, I think. Right. But then, um, He's doing other stuff, but uh, yeah, I I thought that was a, a a good way to to reframe the story. I don't I don't think that's in the traditional uh, legends. No. Can I just say I thought this is um, I must compliment Ben on this explanation because I feel like it just blew my mind. <laughs> and although although I would still most of my notes are just me kind of making fun of the movie. However, so I don't know if I actually think it's a good movie. However, this explanation really did, you know, I can appreciate it now, I feel. I feel like it, it that does make a lot of sense in that um, if you look at it from that point of view, I can understand at least, I can understand what it's trying to do. I, I think of, when I think of King Arthur and Arthurian legend and stuff, I think of, I wrote down chivalry or the protection of women, the protection of femininity, or that's why night and night culture developed, or at least that's my understanding. And I thought 
that was something very clever about making the the sort of the, the origin story of chivalry from a man being raised uh, in a brothel and being raised by all of these prostitutes that he sees as mother figures. Um, he had some, I wrote some, some line here. He said something about one of the prostitutes, like I would give my life for her or maybe she taught me, she's taught me so much. And, uh, he was very upset with the prostitute being killed or something like that. And he was like, no, you know, I, everything I've ever learned, I learned from this prostitute, which I think was very funny to me because like the reality is if you've ever hung out with prostitutes, like, uh, what Bronze Age Pervert was talking about. If you've ever hung out with with actual prostitutes or women who are, you know, on the prostitute level, I feel like there's not really a ton that you're going to learn from them, especially, <laughs> like, you're not going to learn a lot of the right life lessons from them. However, no, G- however Giordano, I've this- watched movies. I know that every prostitute has a heart of gold. <laughs> I don't know what I you're mean, talking about. That, that must be true, right? <laughs> I mean, I saw Julia Roberts. She was really sweet. <laughs> she was a really nice girl. I mean, then, you know, that, that trope probably exists. They're, they are out there. I'm sure they are. I'm sure they're great women. I love them all. Um, but I, my, my point is actually just making the idealized version of the prostitute. This is what Ar- this is Arthur is trying to see, like, well, he lives in a world where all women are prostitutes, which is, you know, this is like, that's 2023. That's current day. And <laughs> he's trying to, like, reform things. And, he, you know, he lives in, he lives in the dark crappy world um ruled by evil jude law and jude law has he's evil and he's made the world he lives in evil so yeah so they're going to be a ragtag band of criminals and and prostitutes and they're going to reform things and make it better so yeah i I get it i think something clicked (laughs) um jude law you guys i have this uh, uh fascination with this um this guy, Brian Johnson, this longevity guy, you know him? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, the, Jude yeah. Law kind of looks like him at parts of the movie. He's got his yeah. dyed black hair, and uh, <laughs> uh, and he looks like some scenes he looks very – because he's, he's going in and out of um, this, like, deal he's made with a sorcerer or something um, where sometimes his, his power is, is waning – so he looks more sickly, and he just kind of reminds me of this Brian Johnson guy. Is that why he has to continually murder everyone? Yeah. Is yeah. that why he's yeah, killing he has to make all, a, every female character? He has to murder her at some point? He has to make a sacrifice to those um, swamp creature girls. Yes. I will yeah. say this. Okay. I love, I love Jude Law as an actor. And uh, if you want to see the best TV show probably ever made, um, it's called The Young Pope. Have either of you guys seen it? Oh. I haven't. I've I've heard it recommended, but I've never season, seen it. I saw season, the first season, which was fantastic. Yeah, I started the second season. I didn't finish it. I think the first season is the only only one worth watching. But it, it's essentially a show that asks the question, what if the Pope was Catholic? Which I think is a very interesting <laughs> question to, to ask. But uh, Jude Law is a fantastic actor. And um, he really sells, I think, those murder scenes where he's got to murder. I think the first one is his wife and the second one is his daughter. You just like really and it's amazing given the movie he was in and uh, what he was kind of given to work with in terms of a script um and i imagine in terms of a of a production process like he gives some extraordinary acting and i think one of the great crimes of the movie is that for sort of the climactic scene they make him the cgi 
Balrog monster. Yeah, yeah. Ronnie Coleman with uh, <laughs> double side. And uh, like, let us see Jude Law's face for the climactic scene, you know? Um, he's such a good actor and uh, and could have really sold it. And in fact, they, they do have him transform back into Jude Law for a second. And he gives a great performance for those those last two seconds. Um, oh, yeah. But I, I actually, even though his character is a little inscrutable in terms of some of the writing decisions that are made for him, in terms of how Jude Law acts him, I, I think he does a terrific job. Oh, yeah, I agreed. Yeah, he's great. I I, I agree with the thing about the, the monster, but he... Um... But I also like the monster fight. It's a, again, it's like, it's very cartoony, but it's also pretty awesome. I agree. Yeah. The, and, and Jude Law can't say enough about how much I love this man. He's amazing. Although I have, I feel like I, I forgot about the young Pope, which that's incredible. And then the other movies I've seen him in are like AI and, uh, oh, you know what? Gattaca. Love that one. But, Gattaca's- um, they did this thing where it just like right at the beginning, towards the beginning of the film where they're having some sort of council and Jude law, they're talking about uh, the sorcerers that were or evil. And in the olden days there were sorcerers and, but they've all gone into hiding because they're, they were hunted down because they're evil or something. And then one of them is like, weren't you in, weren't you raised by a sorcerer <laughs> and Jude law? What are you implying? And then they just do like a jump cut to Jude Law <laughs> being evil and like doing evil <laughs> sorcerer stuff. So, I mean, yeah. The, yeah. yeah. I, I felt like Jude Law would make a great evil King. Um, but sometimes, yeah, like you said, his, the writing was a little inscrutable. Like I'm trying to understand like Jude Law, what are you doing? Like you catch more flies with honey, you know, he's, he's torturing people to death and he's trying to kill their rightful King in front of this crowd of all these people, I guess to try to win their hearts over, but, or just to show that he's more powerful. I just quite didn't, I didn't quite understand him at times, but he's still, well, and he, he, he elevated everything. He's uh, building a, a tower. So sort of like a, you know, classic symbol of hubris, some sort of tower babble sort mm-hmm. of thing. Um, which of course like comes crashing down. Uh, and then I thought it was weird. I thought it was a kind of a, a weird strategic move for him to, uh, do the, the sword testing publicly. Um, cause if, if one guy was the rightful heir and was able to pull the sword out, you wouldn't want there to be a thousand witnesses. Yeah. So, uh, that, <laughs> right. I didn't get that either. strategic error right there. Jude law. I, sure I think the, to me over and over again, as I thought of ways you could improve this movie, it's always just take away. Take away, take away, take away, take away. So, um, although I will say, even though the decision to do a public pulling of the sword is sort of maybe doesn't make a ton of rational sense, um, it's a cool scene. It is a cool <laughs> scene when he finally pulls it and all the people are like, oh, you're the guy, huh? Yeah. Um, and David Beckham's there for some reason. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh don't get me started with David Beckham. But yeah. With this big goofy, this goofy nose. And that's part of the... Beckham is part of that thing I meant about the London street culture. Cause you got, well, he's not, he's not a Londoner, but he is, you got, yeah. No, he's uh, well, he's uh, I thought he was from Manchester, but he, he played from Manchester, but I looked up that he was originally from London. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. Um, but you got pit bulls yeah, <laughs> in the yeah, movie. Yeah. It's quite a few pit. <laughs> yeah. Bully and pit bulls, pit bulls have had like, a, you know, they've had a moment the last like five years where people have started to realize that they're <laughs> maybe not good dogs. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, you got the, all the snappy dialogue. 
um, which is a just Reddit of like snatch and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you got, you got the, he's got a multi-ethnic band of, um, you know, the Knights of the Round Table. One of the guys even, they refer to him at one point as Kung Fu George. Yeah, right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Straight out of um, Arthurian legend. Yeah. I, I actually, before <laughs> you don't know about Sir Kung Fu George. <laughs> I wanted to ask if either of you, there was a line from Jude Law towards the end um, where right before the final battle and he's in his um, evil form, the evil dark form. And it sounded really a lot like he said, now lay with me. And I don't think he said that because I don't know why he would be inviting Arthur to do that. But then it maybe have might, he might have said, now play with me. Yeah. Or <laughs> perhaps and then my wife actually said, I think he said, now blade with me. Does anyone know what he said? He actually, he wanted to watch uh, Wesley Snipes blade. <laughs> watch blade Favorite with me. Movie. And the fact that he okay. wouldn't, watch blade with him just set him off that was it <laughs> that was the final straw <laughs> um anyway sorry to derail but i just thought that was funny and i didn't couldn't tell what he said yeah i think you know back to my original point so much of this movie could have been made better by just stripping things away so for example they try and do the sword in the stone thing and the lady in the lake thing and mm-hmm. to me the sword in the stone thing just like doesn't make sense. I don't like it when people pull magic just kind of out of nowhere. Like it's a thing that you're supposed to know can happen. So he like throws up the sword, kneels down so that it comes into his back and turns him into a rock and sinks to the bottom of the lake. I'm like, sorry, did he just know that was a thing? Is that a thing you can do in this world? Like, I ben, you're reading. To- these are like my notes verbatim. And I think when they do the lady in the lake scene, um, it's of course shot beautifully. I mean, uh, Guy Ritchie's so stylish. Everything he, I, I love the way everything he shoots looks. It's a very stylish movie. But they should have just done that. They should have just leaned into the lady of the lake thing and not done this, uh, this hard to understand uh, sword in the stone thing, which doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah, plus the, the he Eric Bana hurls the sword into the air. And then I, I just was wondering, like, does he know that it's going to land on him and kill? Is he committing suicide? Or was that an accident? Or uh or I actually was thinking, oh, is this some sort of Arthurian lore that I'm not aware of? The um, you know, of the sword throwing, and then and then it, it implies that he turned into the stone that yep. the sword is being pulled out of. It was a little I actually don't I don't think I realized that that he's the stone. I'm not sure if that, if that was what they meant. I'm pretty sure that's, that's what kind of, they meant. Yeah. Okay. It makes sense. Okay. I, I, I mean, I like that. That's actually yeah. cooler, but I wonder, yeah, I didn't, I don't know if I realized that, but I don't, um, and I have no idea if that is like a legend where, you know, you, I mean, I don't know. It's, uh, I guess you, if, if that was at all intentional, you'd just say that's some, some sort of insurance policy on the future. He's like, okay, well only my son will be able to get this sword. Mm. So, or who, or, or someone else worthy, and if someone does, then they can avenge me. It would have made think... more sense if he had like a druid friend who's like, "Hey, there's this way, you know, they're on the run. Vortigan has sort of ejected him from the capital, and he's hot on his heels. And he says, hey, there's this way at least to um, protect this thing for your son, or something like that, you know.' Well, so so the in the Wikipedia it says Merlin helped the original king, Banna. It said Merlin forged the, the sword. That's right. And Merlin's not in this movie. Mm. Um, 
And I think they had planned because they were going to have this like universe, you know, they had planned to have a Merlin movie or something, but I don't, I'm not sure why they didn't have Merlin in, in here to, I, I assume the reason is they wanted to get like an A-list actor. They thought this was going to work and it was going to become a spinoff. Yeah. And so they were like, Oh, if we don't really show them, we can get an A-list to do the actual movie later, but we can't afford to just like throw another A-list movie actor in right now. Mm. Maybe they could get like a Bill Nighy Merlin. <laughs> like a British, really John Cleese, British yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, judging by the rest of the cast, it probably would have been more likely to be Idris Elba. <laughs> it, yeah, there was a rumor about Elba being in the movie, but oh, is that right? But he said he was never cast in the movie. Mm. But some people had said he was. In my notes, I have that this would have made a great, and this is what you were kind of saying, Ben. This would make a great fan edit. I feel yes, and there's so much interesting visual imagery and cool stuff going on. Um, one of the choices I don't I don't know enough about Guy Ritchie. I've only ever seen what was it Snatch, Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels. I'm not sure what else he's done, but does he do like time jumps like this? Because I feel like he's done yes. Okay, yeah, he likes fast cuts a lot, and he okay. loves time jumps. He loves like people telling a story and then going back, and you're kind of seeing the. Uh, what preceded yes. the story to, and then cutting to the actual action. Yeah. I feel like this, maybe this is just me because, you know, I'm very slow, but I feel like uh, just a chronological telling would have been, would have helped me. So, and that could be something that somebody could edit. Maybe, I don't know, maybe not, but um, jumping back and forth. I don't know if it did it that much in the movie, but it was a, a little bit, I don't know. Um, I, I didn't, I didn't, Mind, I liked his style. I thought the mm. movie basically worked for me, but I do wonder if it would have been a lot more successful, you know, commercially if if it had just been more of a Lord of the Rings or Game of Thrones straightforward. Is, uh, so you know, see, this is the problem: is if people walked into Lord of the Rings, right? <laughs> Imagine if they walk into Lord of the Rings and they're like, "Oi, <laughs> oi, might we gotta go get that ring?" You know, in yeah, it, and there's, you know, and just and like pit bulls, <laughs> and there's like Gandalf rolling in with pit bulls in like Gollum slow motion and then fast motion, and yeah, I yeah. think that people have this expectation with the sort of aesthetics, the Arthurian aesthetics, which are uh, be, have become uh, the universal fantasy aesthetic, like for the entire world, is the British medieval legendarium aesthetic like every fairy tale and stuff wants to be there. the castles and kings and queens and wizards and stuff so i think he was very bold to to try to take that classic like archetypal aesthetic and then make it you know into a street gang kind of thing but i think if i had that was my problem is maybe the way it was marketed but that was my problem the first time i watched it on Redbox is uh i could not get past it the 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 accents and stuff and well, jude law I wonder too if it would have been better to do more of a fusion because in some ways it was separate. And I mm -hmm. think that's what led to some of the whiplash is that you've got Londinium and then you've got um, Camelot with this tower. So, you, so you've got like this area where it feels like um, modern day set 2000 years ago. Um, it feels very urban and then you move locations and now all of a sudden it's very high fantasy. And then you've yeah. kind of got a third location where it's very Robin hood, right? Where they're mm -hmm. in this cave, mm -hmm. but the moving back to back to back, I think maybe they should have just made Camelot like the keep 
in yeah. and put like a city around it. And that way they could have fused a little bit more these two worlds instead of feeling like you're getting this whiplash of like, oh, I thought I was in this urban world and now I'm in high Camelot fantasy. Yeah. Just embrace it. Embrace Just embrace the, it. Yeah. yeah. Just go for it. I um, I think also, um, I'm not sure what you think about, and I don't know enough about the Arthurian legend, but I feel like there was not, not much uh, female presence, feminine presence in there beyond sort of all, all, every female side character gets um, basically killed except for the mage. Those, the mage and which her name is actually the mage. So the entire time I'm like, what's her name? Cause I don't know how to. And then in the credits, I think it just says the mage. So I, don't, <laughs> I feel yeah. like that also could have helped because women like to see, uh, you know, other girls in pretty dresses and stuff. Yeah, although I think that's that is a sort of recurring thing that people get mad at Guy Ritchie for is that the women oh. in his movies tend to be women, oh. and uh, and people don't love that. Based, <laughs> but it is true. I mean, they were a complete non-presence. There's and... no uh, uh, Arthur. It is. It isn't Arthur um, with Guinevere. I'm, I'm sure they're. You know, if they're doing the six movie cycle, I'm sure that would have been a movie, but. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I read that they were originally the mage would have been doubled up as Guinevere, mm. um, but then they just decided to separate it and save her for the a later movie. Fascinating. I wow. would love. I I know this series is dead, but I think there was so much that was good there to start on. I would love if they could just come back to it and say, "Hey, you know, we're gonna give Charlie Hunnam the bag because he did a great job, but we'll just cut out." 90% of the CGI because ultimately you don't need it and just make a $50 million version of this movie, which would have been profitable, which I think you could do and, um, and keep the character going. Cause I just thought he was such a good King Arthur. It pains me that they, uh, they're moving on from him. Yeah. It's a little surprising that uh, they weren't able to make something work. give game of Thrones. Cause this was 2017. And I think yes. what game of Thrones ended ended sometime shortly before this. Right. Or, um, but that was the most kind of the most successful media property of the 2010s. I assume, I think I'm not sure anything else competes really. It may be just Marvel stuff, but, um, yeah, people were, you know, people are, are obviously hungry for, uh, you know, this setting and this type of things. Everybody wants it. And game of Thrones was, uh, yeah, I feel I felt that kind of in the background of this whole thing. Like, oh yeah, we were all still, you know, we were kind of disappointed by the end of Game of Thrones, but we could all have like a really cool something kind of like that, this dark fantasy. Um, and there was actually several Game of Thrones actors sh who showed up: um, Roose Bolton, Littlefinger. Um, yeah, those two. I was gonna check to see if there was any others, but pop. by the way, I have the movie playing silently in the background while we're talking, and mm. I do see the part. Where I think he's. Um, He's in the dark lands or whatever. It does show that the king turns into a stone and he's so heavy that he breaks oh. the like he breaks the like Lock. deck that he's standing on and sinks to the to the into the water. Yeah. Well, there's a one part right where before he van no, right after he vanquishes Jude Law. And he, they make this fascinating choice for him to maybe because it's his uncle, 
But um, Arthur picks up Jude Law's, he takes him by the hand after he's stabbed him. And he's laying there dying. He takes him by the hand, and then he kisses his hand. And then I think he says, you make sense of the devil. But yeah. again, I have no idea what they were saying most of the time because of the accents. That There's line, some good lines in this movie. The, the, um, what were some of the good line lines? was a little inscrutable to me. I, I, was, I had trouble with that. Does, is made, that what he said, do you think? Or? I, uh, that's what I got out of it. That is what yeah. I heard as well. It's a fascinating thing to say, but I don't know what it means. There's a there's a few things when um, Banna right. This is the opening scene when he hands his crown, I think, to the uh, what's his like ass name, Jaimon Hansu, the, the, oh, yes. the black guy. Mm-hmm. I think he says, uh, "Hold the crown, hold it steady." That's a good line. It's a good line. Okay. I'm gonna, I might get that on vinyl lettering on my wall. <laughs> um, and then uh, uh, I like Charlie. I like King Arthur's line. Why have enemies when you can have friends? Like that's that's kind of my. I mean, I'm not some like you know successful guy necessarily but that's the, the approach i always try and take like if i can and i and i had a boss at one time he's like if you're in a position to uh give out favors give out as many favors as you can like just like especially if it costs you very little or nothing just like you know um well those were two not bad lines yeah <laughs> maybe there's probably some others but those are just the more. two i singled out i, I do down. like oh go ahead Oh, sorry. I wrote down, uh, you want him to think big? Give him something big to think about. Because that was a... Then I also wrote down, this doesn't smell right. It smells as right as it's ever going to smell. (laughs) And that's uh, that was what I... I think that was my two favorites. Oh, and then um, (laughs) want to know what gave me such drive? It was you. But he said that to his uncle, I guess, right before he killed him. I was writing these down because I thought they were bad lines. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I do like that. Uh, I like his quips often, uh, at, especially at the beginning of the movie when he's in full on pimp mode. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I'm trying to think of of specific lines, but. Um, well, when the um, the, when the the knights of the round table, you know, the people who will become the knights, when they abduct him, when they when they help when they save him, uh, and they take him into the forest, there's one part where he's talking about his parentage, and uh, I can't remember how the line was set up, but Arthur looks at the black guy. I can't remember his name. I would I would that say his character name. Sir Bedivere. Bedivere, yeah, and he says he's like you know he's like unless you're my dad, which I think is unlikely. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Yeah, that was That's right. I, I like the line when uh, <laughs> he's just on the horse and he turns around and he talks to the mage and says, are you falling for me? Like I'm falling for you. Just like uh, <laughs> ultimate alpha Chad move. Uh, no, no real pickup line needed. Just I'm, I'm going right into this thing. Um, and then there's another one where, uh, where they're saying we don't now we don't want to rush you. <laughs> they start treating him with uh, with kid gloves at a certain point. I can't remember what he did. He said, we don't want to rush you, but the people are, uh, are, are, you know, rioting and they're ready for their king to return. He goes, okay, great. I'm ready. We're going to go to Camelot. We're going to go through the front door. And they say, well, how are we going to do that? And he says, I thought you said you weren't going to rush me. And uh, <laughs> that was a good quip too. 
Um, regarding the mage, is she she overpowered? Like, I mean, yes. Or is is Arthur is Arthur even needed here? So I, I actually think she was fine because mostly she kind of like runs cover and um, you know just kind of does spooky stuff with animals until she gets the like. 1000 XP snake that is yeah. feet tall and kills everyone. That that scene was a little too much. I mean, I thought it was cool. It was like, you know, let's bring in a massive snake. Sure, that's cool. I, but I think that they didn't tell um Charlie Hunnam what that scene was going to look like. She turned <laughs> there's a scene where she turns into a snake and it's it is the largest snake I've ever seen in a movie, like the largest fantasy snake that's ever existed. It's enormous. It's just, uh, it's, it's like the size 10 of this times as big castle. as the Harry Potter snake. Yeah. It's like that Harry Potter thing is like nothing compared to how big this thing is. It's so <laughs> big. And Charlie Hunnam just kind of has like this bemused look on his face. Like, <laughs> you know, cool. <laughs> but like, he doesn't really say anything or do anything there. Cause I think that they didn't tell him, Hey, pretend like you just saw the biggest snake you've ever seen in your life. Also, can you guys tell me what happened to the snake? Yeah. It's <laughs> a good mm. question. Kill just kills a bunch of people, serves as a great Deus Ex Machina, and then it's just gone. Does um there's a way. Jude Law does Jude Law like stab it or something? No, because he kills the small snake at the beginning, the snake that makes sense, but he does not kill yeah. the big snake. Do we see the do we see the, the druidess after that? Is that um, the end of her? I went through it. The snake just, it just shows him leave. The snake just slithers out of the room. Yeah. It's oh, still it alive. Leave. Okay. At least. Yeah. And he just goes off into the wilderness and becomes like a, um, crypto, cryptozoology thing. But what, what was the, wait, was the mage, the snake, or she was just controlling the snake. I don't really know. I thought she was controlling it. Yeah. She was like seeing through the eyes of the snake, but I'm not really yeah. sure. She just used magic to make it really big, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Um. Uh, all right. So the mage is overpowered. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um. I, ben, I know you. You've already kind of indicated you you like Hunnam's performance a lot. Do you find him kingly? Is he kingly? I find him kingly. Um, I find I'm not sure his journey 100% makes sense, but he starts kingly and he ends kingly, and I do appreciate that. I thought I thought he was kingly. Yeah, what do you guys think? I believe I believe that he could grow into it. Like he doesn't quite seem like there, you know, at any point in the movie. Uh, you know, maybe the toward that like that last scene with the the Vikings or something when when he's like, you know, you bow to me, you losers, and like maybe there, but he um, I don't, I I actually have never seen this actor in anything else. I think I read that he was in Sons of Anarchy, which I'd never watched. Yeah, yeah. In Sons of Anarchy, is he is he American or is he? Yeah, I'm assuming he's British or. Uh, he's British in real life. Yeah. In, in real life. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, he's, uh, you've seen him in other stuff. I'm sure probably. Pacific Rim. Oh yeah. Children, children of men. He's in yeah. children. Um, of men. I don't know what he was. He's in, 
I'm I'm a big booster for this movie Triple Frontier on Netflix. Yeah, it's a um, hmm. he's in that. Yeah, and he's in Lost City of Z, which is very good. If you guys haven't seen that, oh yeah, yeah, that was a big that was a big that. streaming hit. Yeah, yes, I forgot about that. Well, he as for his kingly qualities, it brings up a very good point from what Ben was saying earlier about sometimes the protagonist of the King Arthur story is at least to me does sort of feel like a blank slate almost like a you it's almost like you're supposed to or every man is supposed to see himself as king arthur in a way i think i I don't know that's just kind of how i see it from watching other movies like um excalibur or or like the sword in the stone or something it's sort of like a generic every man figure but this one does definitely give him more of a persona a very masculine a sort of persona but um but like makes him more of his own person a very british guy sort of grab life by the balls and you know go for it kind of guy which is cool yeah and that's sort of what he always he always sort of plays that uh yeah uh capable confident guy yeah yeah well and i think you know again luke skywalker harry potter they are the chosen one and they get powers because they are the chosen one. Um, but rarely do you uh, see a movie where the chosen one is chosen because of his lineage, but then that is mediated through competence and charisma, which then gives him uh, his, his power to, to actually lead. And that's what I like about King Arthur. It's just like one of the few protagonists who has the blood claim, but that, that blood claim isn't just, you know, therefore magic, therefore he belongs on the throne, but no, that blood claim gives him character, gives him charisma, gives him competence, which therefore uh, engenders a, a actual real claim to the throne. I like that. Yeah, by the time he learns he his lineage, and by the time he interacts with this the sword, he's already he's already um, you know a successful guy in his his domain. I feel like um, if you've ever seen um, a movie called First Night, starring yeah. Sean Connery, right, as King Arthur. Anyway, my mom, my mom loved this movie because she thought Richard Gere was so hot. And she used to have, we used to have this on VHS. So I've watched it a few times. It's like a nineties, very lighthearted, like a Danielle Steele version of the King Arthur story. <laughs> Not that lighthearted. And, Sean Connery gets, gets freaking got at the end of the Oh, movie. does he? <laughs> I thought lighthearted in the sense of moms like it. I feel like it's, I think I've said this before on, on Twitter, but it's a great, um, king arthur movie to watch with wives and girlfriends right um because it's like the romantic angle but i feel like the charlie hunnam from this i could actually see you know if you want a a sequel we already have the sequel see you just watch um first night and count that as the sequel to king arthur legend of the sword because then you just imagine charlie hunnam grows up and he's older now and he becomes sean connery i could kind of see it i can see the progression from like a street street londoner to uh sort of a more of a refined i guess scotsman is that what sean connor is <laughs> yeah do you do you, as an englishman do you become more scottish as you age yes yeah you become 
<laughs> yeah, that's the goal. <laughs> I knew it. Yeah, you By the transit of property, are we all becoming more Canadian as we get older? <laughs> yeah, you just move up northward. Yeah. 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 Beautiful thing. Oh yeah, I mentioned a minute ago that part with the um, with the Vikings, like you know, they have that big aerial or like the over bird's eye shot of this of this round table that's not finished, and mm. and the the guys are like, "What on earth is this round table? You, you can't even reach the center. It's such a big round table." Um, but uh, I don't know if you guys caught. There's like this. He's standing on the top of three steps, and the like Viking guys are on the bottom. Um, it's like the, that's how the uh, Masonic lodges are set up, um, which there are some parallels and stuff with the with Masonic uh, uh, traditions and like you know the um, coronations of like English kings and queens and stuff. It's uh, I actually did not catch that because they were trying they were doing the whole like I don't know if this is a Guy Ritchie thing, but they had a bunch of um, really silly quips that they were making. Like, what is that? A carousel? <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. it's a giant wheel of cheese. <laughs> uh, Giordano, you're saying you're saying his name in the Italian way. You say Garici. It's Garici. He's a good guy, huh? He's a good director. <laughs> it's true. All they make like six or seven quips. None of them land. Not a single one. <laughs> I wish I could have been like in the theater, you know, watching that and hearing the audio. I actually there. did. Though. I did actually kind of forget because there's parts of this where it's like. They go to the they go to the sword and the stone. I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, this is the sword and the stone story. And then they're like, they go to the round table. I'm like, oh yeah, these guys are the knights of the round table. Like, <laughs> I they yeah, I just would kind of forget it. I think that I was think also one, Chinese George's only line. I think that was his name, Chinese yeah, Ch- Kung Fu George or Chinese George. I didn't make Kung this Fu name. George. Yeah, that's what they his, his character name is George. But they do call him Kung Fu George at one point. Okay, and and the guy who calls him that. I recognize that guy. Mm. He's in some movie I, I mentioned the other. I think I told you about it, Giordano. But uh, it was called Bull. It's uh, mm. it's pretty weird. Pretty good though. It's like uh, this really trashy, you know, English mafia sort of thing. Yeah, like, you yeah. know, organized crime in England. And uh, this guy, it's a revenge thing, and it's uh, got a got an interesting ending and stuff. So that's the guy. But who, it's a, who calls him Kung Fu George. Yeah, the guy who says it's a uh, his character name is Backlack. Um, <laughs> he's the kind of round, the pudgy, yeah, chubby, round faced guy. Um, but the movie Bull is a little dark. It's pretty dark, so I don't. Not for everyone. <laughs> not recommended. Speaking of Kung Fu George, he actually he has like three lines, and one of them really oh, okay. bothers me. And that is when they're surrounded in the dojo. Um. The, you know, Charlie Hunnam is Arthur is telling everyone to evacuate out of the sewer and uh, and Kung Fu George says no. And the reason he should give is these men are willing to die for you like they want you to escape. That makes that a great scene, which is I when I rewatch it, I just pretend that's what he says. What he really <laughs> says is uh, they hate black legs and they like to fight. It's like, OK, so these guys are just retarded <laughs> like they're so <laughs> stupid that they're just willing to fight all these cops who are essentially way outnumber them and are going to kill them like oh okay <laughs> you know all right yeah, and suicidal. They really, <laughs> really nice armor that's black so you know they're bad yes <laughs> well, the, was that the scene where the guy in the black armor said something about it's my turn to cook tonight my wife's <laughs> it's my turn to cook dinner oh yeah that guy he's like if i don't if like if i don't come back they'll know something's up 
And I was thinking of that part. I'm like, you know, things move pretty slow back then. So I might've actually just killed him or something. Well, that's also the <laughs> uh, second time he has a chance to kill him because they have the standoff where, uh, Jude law has his knife to, uh, what's his name? Backlack. Uh, yeah. To his throat. And Arthur has his knife to that guy's throat and he kills Backlack and Arthur just pushes away, uh, you know, Wardigan's little Lieutenant instead of mm-hmm. actually following through, which does not seem true to character for a pimp. seems like he would just slit the throat and, uh, just kill him. Yeah. You just kill him. Yeah. That was the right thing to, do. thing to do. Yeah. 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 Fascinating. Pimps and kings. I guess the lesson is pimps are kings. Or kings are pimps? I don't know. Kings are pimps? Something. Do you guys know much about Arthurian legend beyond, like, I've never, like, read, you know, something about it. So, because one thing I'm wondering is, I see a handful of parallels, like, in this story with the biblical stuff. Um, You know, like... Making everyone, making every man come to test out the sword sounds a lot like King Herod, you know, killing, killing the baby boys and stuff. Um, but is, uh, like when, when was, when did these legends like originate and, you know, were these people already reading the Bible and were they just kind of like making legends based on the Bible, but adapting it for England? So, um, I liked Arthurian legend a lot when I was a kid. Um, I'm sure there are a lot of, Biblical motifs, of course, a lot of them were concerned with chivalry and virtue and honor, um, stuff like that. I don't think it's as kind of straightforward as adapting Bible stories to a chivalric uh, setting, because there are some weird Arthurian legends too. Like, not weird to them at the time, but reading them now, they, they feel like stories that don't really make sense to the modern year. Um, but yeah, frankly, there's not a ton from this movie that hints at Arthurian legend. Like you don't go like, Oh, that's Percival, man. He's really like Percival from the books, you know? Um, Oh, oh, there's Lancelot. Oh, there, you know, there's Sir Gawain. Like, there's none of that. There's, the characters are not recognizable as themselves. I think um, this taps into the Arthurian, um, yeah, the Arthurian legend the same way. It's almost just like um, it's become so archetypal that it's just sort of in the background. But I don't know. I can't say I know a, a whole ton about the origins of Arthurian legend, but I think, yeah, like kind of like Ben was saying, I don't think it was anything conscious, but probably unconscious imitations of eternal archetypal things found in scripture, but don't really see a ton of that in this. Although, I mean, there's a lot of like, I don't know, weird imagery and archetypal imagery, but yeah, I didn't really pick up on a whole lot. I don't really know a ton either. I just watch movies. Most of my uh, understanding of Arthurian legend was like Disney's The Sword and the Stone, which, uh, or, yeah, or that's, that's, Once and Future King. Yeah. Sword and the Stone's got to be the biggest reference point. That's what, yeah. you know, when they make a movie like this, they're banking on people yeah. having seen that. Yeah, yeah. And uh, that squirrel in that one scene that I was in love with. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, 
my uh, <laughs> when I was like seven. Anyway, yeah, that was uh, like just from you know picking it up in movies and stuff. And then I I always used to think that there was just like a set story. Like, oh, I would love to read the original novel of King Arthur. And it wasn't until I was, you know, a little older that I realized, oh, it's just a blending of a bunch of different traditions and stories. Let's see. Anything else you get, anyone wants to get into? I don't know if anyone's seen Guy Ritchie did a movie more recently that uh, is not really in the style of Guy Ritchie. It's just a very straightforward um, mm. uh, kind of, I guess I'd say it's a war movie, kind of a war movie, not, but um, The Covenant. I don't, have you guys seen that? No. I have not. It's pretty good. It's just like a straightforward story about a guy. It's a uh, Afghanistan, so it's modern. Um, uh, a U.S. You know, an American soldier goes back to Afghanistan to like save the interpreter who had helped him when he was there, oh. and the, and the the government had promised to bring him over after, but then they like didn't really fulfill their promise. So he he goes to try and figure that out. Is that um is that a Jake Gyllenhaal movie? Yeah, yeah, it's pretty good. I haven't okay. seen it, but I've seen other people watching it on the plane. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a, yeah, it's probably a plane. It's a good, plane movie, probably. Movie. Um, I was going to ask: Was Guy Ritchie allowed to make movies after this? Yes, or because at least that is at least one. Why wouldn't you be able allowed to make more movies after making the best movie of the twenty first century? <laughs> I mean, right? <laughs> Critically and universally loved. I, I saw that the King Arthur lost an estimated 150. I mean, they, it, it, the budget versus box office is a pretty close number, but then there's usually a bunch of marketing on top of that that you don't see. And then they also, the revenue, like the box office, they don't, they only get a fraction of that. So, um, so I heard that they lost about 150 on it and a lot of people never really get to work again for much smaller, uh, failures than that. Oh, wow. Yeah. But I mean, after, um, the Sherlock Holmes movies, I think Guy Ritchie yeah. is basically. Kind I of did made. those two. I actually never saw those. He did the Robert Downey Jr. ones. Yeah, yeah. There was like two of those, I think. Yeah. Mm. Okay. And I like those movies, and also, you know, I think his his smaller stuff uh, was profitable, um, like Stat Snatch and Lockstock. Um, yeah. So. Yeah, those are pretty. Um, at least I, I don't know. I'm sure they're profitable. They're also kind of iconic movies. So, um, oh, and the Man from Uncle. Have you guys seen that? No, I have not. It's been on like a. I've had a lot that on watch lists for like you know ten years or however long it's existed. I've always meant to watch it. I um I recommend it. All I right, do recommend it. After this, I'm you know I'm down. Like if I can I, I can watch King Arthur one and a half times. I'm I'll watch anything from this guy. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah. By the way, Granite, did you say uh, you have not seen The Young Pope? I haven't. I have not seen it. Okay. Watch it. And uh, just I feel discount. Like you would like it, Granite. Yeah. Discount episode 10. Just. <laughs> does, does, he, does he do something gay? <laughs> so, he, uh, I didn't. First, yeah, I didn't. First get of all, sh- shame on you. Obviously. <laughs> I, uh, uh, I can't use a word like that. But second of all, <laughs> Yes, he does. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, great soundtrack too. Yeah, uh, wait, on both actually. I uh, the Young Pope has a great, great soundtrack. So did um, so did King Arthur: Legend of the Sword, though. I actually thought it was one of the strongest parts of the movies. Great soundtrack. It was. It was a very. It was interesting, and I watched all the credits at the end to see what the songs were. 
I'm trying to remember what they were. I, I must have. I remember that. I mean, there's there's a, sort of a modern quality to it, but I don't really remember the music. It was yeah, modern with other modern than that breathing. Like, <laughs> the breathing <laughs> thing is the main thing I remember. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, no slowed down piano versions of Radiohead, which <laughs> <laughs> that's just for trailers. Yeah, that's, that's true. Right? Yeah. Um, okay. Anything else? You know, go, everyone, go buy uh, go buy the Mamba Wizard. Yes. On on Amazon or Do it today, wherever else. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then check out uh, How to Take Over the World, Ben's Ben's hit podcast. Yeah. Cool. Subscribed. Great. What's the What's the last one you you put out? The oh, it was an old. Uh, who is it? Genghis Khan. Genghis Khan Part Two, I think. And then what? Who? What else do you have coming up? So um, tomorrow is my end notes episode for Genghis Khan. And then uh, Wright Brothers is the next one up. And then I'm going to be revisiting Napoleon in advance of the Napoleon movie that's coming out in November. Oh, okay. Yeah, cool. 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 Yeah, maybe uh, if you want to come back, you could come talk here about Napoleon. Reading between the lines, I don't know that uh, King Arthur Legend of the Sword was universally beloved by everyone on this panel. (laughs) But uh, if you'll have me back, I I would love to discuss the Napoleon movie. No, you're you're totally welcome back. Like I said on that Oppenheimer episode, it would have been great. It would have been great to have you there because there was there's so much that uh, we were speculating on. So I'm converted, by the way. I'm I'm a huge fan now. After after us talking about it. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, I'll watch this again in a few years when my kids are old enough. Yeah, Yeah. All right. Thank you, guys. Um, I guess we'll cut it off there. All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. Take it easy.